Welcome to The Art of Intimate Marriage with Dr. Jennifer Conzin. Sensitive yet frank advice for enjoying every benefit of one of God's most fundamental gifts. Dr. Conzin is a licensed marriage and family counselor, sex therapist, as well as an adjunct professor, award-winning researcher, author, and speaker. With today's conversation on the biblical approach to fulfilling intimacy in marriage, here's Jennifer. Good morning. This is Dr. Jennifer Conzin, and you're listening to The Art of Intimate Marriage. And you might be wondering, what is this show for? Well, I am hoping to give you some inspiration and some guidance on how to get how to get to the type of sexual relationship in your marriage that God intends. We're going to cover a lot of different things in this program, but that's going to be a primary focus. There's a on the back of um, my book, also entitled The Art of Intimate Marriage, it talks about that God's plan for sexual intimacy in marriage is the work of a master artist. God is the master artist. And he wants to help us create beauty in our marital relationship. But the reality is that takes practice, it takes dedication, it takes commitment. So we're going to cover what will get us there. Really, it's an issue of you know, receiving some biblical guidance with a mixture of professional information. This is what I do professionally. Um, we are going to talk today about God's view of sexuality. What does the Bible actually have to say about sex? But uh, throughout the program, we're also going to talk about, as a therapist, how do I approach helping people with sexual issues? So I do work as a marriage and family therapist, and I'm also a certified sex therapist. That means that couples come to me for all kinds of different issues in their sexual relationship, and I work with them in therapy. And then I also speak all over on this topic as well. So I mean, couples come to see me for all kinds of different issues. Sometimes they come to see me for conflict in their marriage, um, for issues with depression and anxiety and grief. But predominantly, I work with couples around uh, drugs and alcohol and around sexuality. So some of what you'll be hearing here is how are those things affecting your sex life? What types of things are affecting your sex life? You might be uh, needing really more help with how to have more fun in sex. So how can we get there? What are some practicals to help you get there? You might be looking for things, um, help with things from your past that are causing some challenges in your relationship right now. You might need some direction on how to overcome some of the physical challenges that you're having with sexuality. Or maybe you're just feeling like you need some steps to help you with connecting emotionally more as spouses. You're needing better what I would call verbal intimacy. You might feel like, boy, our touch, our affection, it's just not what it should be. We really need to grow in that area, and it's affecting our sexuality. We're going to talk about that. So we're going to cover a number of different areas and hopefully lots of practical tips um, just on making things better. So... Bottom line, what I'm really hoping people get from this time is an understanding that God really does have an incredible plan for sex. And sometimes we just need some help to figure out how to get there. Uh, people do ask me pretty regularly, how did I end up working in this field? I started because early in my work, in my training, in my doctorate, I it just became clear to me that even strong, stable, married couples have a hard time talking about sex. They have a hard time communicating about 
what they like, what they don't like, what they're bothered by. It's very difficult to have open, direct, genuine communication about this particular part of the relationship. And there's a lot of fears attached to it, a lot of things from the background that affect that. So early on in my work, I put together a program to help couples. And actually, that program became the seed that I uh, then built into the work that I do today around this area. Really, what it comes down to is I I find that it's pretty vital that people have a thorough understanding, because most of the people that come to see me do have Christian beliefs, that they need to have an understanding of what does the Bible, what do the scriptures, what does God say about sex. So that's kind of where we're going to start things off. Before I even taught my first lesson, which was years ago, before I ever taught my first lesson on sexuality, I, I took about a year to thoroughly examine the scriptures and make sure what does the Bible say. And so I encourage you to do the same. If you have questions about sexuality, dig into your scriptures. Today, I'm only going to hit kind of some broad uh, issues about what the Bible teaches. Um, We're going to hit that all throughout this program. But take some time, dig into the Word, find out what does the Bible teach about sexuality. I hope that you'll get some of that help today as you're listening to discover what God's plan is for your life sexually. So let's start with kind of a big overarching sweeping fact, and that is how does God himself view sexuality and how does he want us to view it? So let's start in the book of Ezekiel. Go ahead and turn. If you have your Bibles, if not, you can listen to this later and pull them open. Open your Bibles to Ezekiel 16. Before we go there, just a reminder that there's a book, it's actually called Sex and the Supremacy of Christ. It was, you know, one of the first reads that I did on God's view of sexuality. And they have a quote in there. I want to read it to you. Piper and Taylor, the authors say, the language and imagery of sexuality are the most graphic and most powerful that the Bible uses to describe the relationship between God and his people, both positively when we're faithful and negatively when we're not. Okay, what does that say? It says that God actually uses sexual language to express his heart. And we're going to examine that in Ezekiel 16 first, and then into some other scriptures. I love the fact, just the quote I just gave you is actually from the book by Piper and Taylor. Like I said, Sex and the Supremacy of Christ. Well, the title itself can put people on pause. Sex and the Supremacy of Christ, all in one title. Something about Jesus and something about sex. We don't put those two words in the same sentence, typically. We tend to go, God's over here and sex on the far left and sex is over here on the far right, and they, the twain will never meet. Well, actually, that is not how God views sexuality. So turn to Ezekiel 16. Read the entire passage. I'm just going to hit some highlights here today and help you to understand that actually sexuality really in many ways is designed by God in order for us to know him more deeply, to know him more fully. In Ezekiel 16 is where God is talking about the nation of Israel and how as a nation they were pursuing idols. They were worshiping idols other than gods, other than the Lord God Almighty. So 
In Ezekiel 16, he expresses his heart about that. These are the different words that are used. When you hear him describing, again, it's the nation of Israel, and he's saying it in super poetic terms. He talks about how he um, threw over her a cloth, and he wiped her blood away, and she was kicking about in that blood, and he said, live. That's God's heart right there. And he talks about how her development, her breasts were formed, and her hair grew, and she was naked and bare. Okay, he's talking actually about the nation of Israel, and he's using sexual terminology, uh, genital terminology, to describe her, meaning the nation of Israel's, growth. And he's using the term breasts and so on. Then as you get later, he talks about how um, she became beautiful, and then she started to use her beauty to prostitute herself. And he talks, he uses words like he, uh, she lavished her favors, she engaged in prostitution, she degraded her beauty and offered her body with promiscuity. This is all as you're going through 16, verse 25. Then as you get later, it talks about she exposed, you exposed your nakedness and your promiscuity with your lovers, you stripped in front of them, you let them see their nakedness. Then Turn to Ezekiel 23. This is where you see very explicit language. Again, he's talking about the nation of Israel, and he says, In that land their breasts were fondled and their virgin bosoms were caressed. He talks about um, the Assyrians. So again, he's talking about Israel and Assyria, and that he def- that, uh, defiled herself with all the idols of everyone. She lusted after it. uses the word lust, and it's, again, describing idolatry, but it uses sexual language that she slept with men, that they caressed her virgin, she poured out her lust. And then it actually talks about um, the men whose genitals, hold on, I just flipped that, whose genitals were like those of donkeys and whose emissions were like those of horses. Okay, so actual physical language about genitals and about emissions, and he's still talking about the nation of Israel. Okay, so what's the point of all this? Why is Jennifer pointing all this out? God's using clear sexual language about adultery to explain idolatry. He's saying something we really grasp and understand. For those of you who are listening, most of you are married, and the single greatest thing that comes into my office is when couples have had any kind of betrayal and the pain they feel when their spouse has been unfaithful. And God here is saying that is how I feel feel when you worship other idols. That's how I emotionally feel. God is using sexual language to express his heart to us and vivid sexual language. Why? God wants us to know his heart. Remember, God actually uses sexuality as a way for us to know him more fully. And this actually makes sense when you think about how God uses the physical in general to explain the spiritual. He uses the rocks crying out, the trees clapping their hands. He uses the creation to express his heart. And actually, and ultimately, he put himself into the physical body of Jesus. He incarnated himself to express himself. So God uses the physical to express the spiritual. So he does the same thing with sexuality. He uses this, the physical sexuality to express his heart. I mean, we know the whole Bible is a book on marriage. It's a spiritual marriage. So God uses the physical 
a, a, a physical relationship between a man and woman to express the spiritual relationship between, between us and him. So God is not way over here on the left and sexuality way on, way on the right. It's intimately involved in even how he expresses his heart. Another piece is really understanding the words God uses in the Bible to describe the sexual relationship. So when you look at Matthew 1 and verse 25, we're talking about Joseph. It actually says Joseph did not know Mary until she had Jesus. Okay, well, that word in most translations, they actually say Joseph didn't have relations with Mary. He didn't sleep with her. Some uh, translations will say the word there is actually to know. He did not know her. It's the word gnosko. And that word is the same word that's used in John 10 when it says the sheep knows the shepherd. It's the same in John 10 where it says the Father knows me and I know the Father. So this depth of knowing between Jesus and God and between God and his sheep, between us and him, this same word is gnosko. That is the word that's used to describe Joseph and Mary's sexual relationship. It's not that the way that Jesus and God interrelate is sexual. It's the other way around. It's the word that describes their relationship, the depth of intimate knowing. I mean, how well does God know Jesus and Jesus know God? That depth of intimate knowing is the depth of intimate knowing that the word God uses to describe the sexual relationship, that it's not just about the sexual things going on between these two bodies. It is about them deeply knowing each other. Depth of connection is what sex is really about. And so what's amazing about this is this is actually the same term used in the Old Testament. So this is... Adam and Eve, um, in Genesis 4, where it says, Adam knew Eve, and then conceived and bore Cain. So the word there is yada, which is Hebrew. Uh, that really kind of famous phrase, you hear yada, yada, yada. So that is the uh, Jewish euphemism uh, for sex, actually. It is the word to know. It's in Hebrew, though. In the Gnosko is in the Greek. Yada is in the Hebrew. It's the same word used in Jeremiah 31 that says, no longer will they uh, teach their neighbor and say to one another, know the Lord. They will know me, it says in that verse. That word is they will yada me. So it's uh, Adam, yada, Eve. Okay. God, again, well, again, in both the Hebrew and the Greek is explaining to us that sex is about that depth of intimate knowing. And why is this important? Both of these things about how God uses sexual language to convey his heart and that sex is about um, a depth of intimate knowing of one another, those understandings then guide how to live out our sexuality. They provide an overarching view of sex, that sex is about intimate connection and the way we choose how to live out our sexuality is, does it create connection? Does it create this intimate connection between me and my spouse? If it does, great. If it doesn't, not so good. That's a very helpful guiding principle. Um, another big point, and I'm going to do this and we're going to take a little break, but another big point, this is also out of Piper and Taylor's book, 
is that knowing God guards and guides our sexuality. So in Romans 1, he talks about how, and I'm going to read this straight through to you. This is uh, verses 22 to 24, and a verse 28 says, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. For the degrading of their bodies with one another, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Okay, since they didn't think it was worthwhile to retain a knowledge of God, our knowing, this is that same word, gnosko, our depth of intimate knowing of God will then guide our sexuality. It guides, it guards our sexuality. In uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, Three through five, it says, the heathen who do not know God give their bodies to sexual morality. So our very knowing of God keeps us from living in a way that's sexually immoral. When we don't follow the scriptures, it can distort our knowledge of God. Uh, Satan is powerful. He is the father of lies, and he wants to put before us deceitful desires. God, on the other hand, wants to bring the powerful passion of sexuality under the sway of his direction, of his truth. So we're going to dive into some other things right now. However, we're going to take a little break and come back to some other issues. You may just be tuning in, and I wanted to just give you a heads up. If you listen to the first part of the program, you might have some questions. And I encourage you, go ahead and send those questions in. At the end of the broadcast, you're going to hear about how to send them in. Send them in, and uh, we'll address them in our future broadcasts. Also, if you need a little bit more information, you can actually go get my book on Amazon, The Art of Intimate Marriage, and read that there. Or you can go on my website, same name, The Art of Intimate Marriage. So feel free to get further information that way. All right, so let's go ahead and get back to the rest of our program. Um, I'm going to actually take some time to look at some other scriptures um, that sometimes get used in a way that's a little problematic around sexuality. So this would be in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 through 5, where it talks about how the uh, husband has, that the wife's body belongs to the husband and the husband's body belongs to the wife. And I want to explain that a little bit because sometimes that can be used in a way that's problematic. The word there that belongs to part is exousia, which actually means a delegated authority. And we are given that to each other. What's important about that is to understand that word. It's actually a word that's used to describe stewardship, that God gives me my husband's body so that I be a good steward of. It's kind of like that idea of when you borrow something, how are you supposed to return it? So we understand that you're supposed to return it in as good or as better condition than we've gotten it. That's the idea that's being conveyed there, that God has made me steward of my husband's body. Uh, For men, God has made you steward of your wife's bodies so that you can present that body back to God in great condition. We understand that where um, it actually talks about how uh, a husband is to present his wife, the husband is to present his wife radiant. Um, If you look in 1 Corinthians 7, 33 through 34, it talks about that the 
someone who's married actually is focused on con- pleasing their spouse. They're concerned with pleasing their husband, concerned with pleasing their wife. Uh, it's Ephesians 5, actually, that talks about presenting her radiance. So this idea of my, my spouse's body belongs to me actually is about I'm supposed to utilize their body in a way that brings them pleasure, that honors God, that is a good being a good steward of my spouse's body. This really deals with the idea of it's my duty. I am supposed to uh, give to my spouse because it's my marital duty. Well, actually, when you look at even that word, this is ophile, and I might be pronouncing that wrong, which is the debt or indebtedness that's used in 1 Corinthians 7. This is actually showing someone that they're worthy of what you're giving to them. So if you're giving to them love and sex, you're showing them that you find them worthy of that love and sex. That's what 1 Corinthians 7 is talking about, that we are to treat each other's bodies as if we're stewards given this job by God, and that we are to do it, to give that way physically in order to show our love and connection with them. It's actually funny because when you look in Genesis 24, Isaac is mourning his mother, Sarah's death, and it says that he goes into the tent with Rebecca and is comforted. That term is a a euphemism. The Bible doesn't actually use any direct terms about intercourse. It's an euphemism for sex. He went into her tent, meaning he went and had sex with her and he was comforted. So sex is so much more than just, I own my spouse's body, or I'm doing my duty, or we're just supposed to do this. It's about comfort. It's about pleasing one another. It's about presenting one another radiant to God. So remember that when you use some of these scriptures, sometimes they get used more as a club, as a hit someone over the head, as a demand, rather than sex is really about being giving to one another. And, and and it's it's amazing when you look at the different words that are described that are used to describe the sexual relationship. When you compare mm, Song of Solomon and then Proverbs 5, you see all kinds of lovely words. Um, in Proverbs 5, it says, May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated by her love. That word there in the Hebrew is rava, which means to drink one's fill, to be saturated. It actually is a word used to talk about drunkenness, reeling. That that's, that's what sex is supposed to be like. It's supposed to be so um, intoxicating that you are walking around reeling. That's God's plan for sexuality. It's supposed to leave us enraptured, ravished, captivated, intoxicated. Uh, Paul actually even says that, hey, you got all God better get married so that you don't end up burning with passion. And that actual word in the Greek means to be set on fire. So that's actually what God intends for our sexuality to be. It's a giving. It's a burning. It's a powerful passion to give to one another. We're going to spend some time um, in more detail later on Song of Solomon, but I just want to leave you with some final thoughts from Song of Solomon. If you look at how the bride, how the beloved describes her lover, look at her language. Notice 
this fire and intoxication I was just talking about. Notice this presenting one another radiant. That's so much more than duty. Because when she describes him, she says he's handsome, he's sweet to taste, he's radiant and ruddy, and he has, he describes his head, his hair, his eyes, his cheeks, his lips. Well, he does the same thing. He says she's beautiful, she's lovely, and then he starts describing her body, her, but not just her breasts. <laughs> he says her eyes, her hair, her teeth, her lips, her mouth, her temples. You see, God wants us to enjoy one another's bodies in a way that is full of fire, of intoxication, of enjoyment of one another. And he literally wrote an entire book to show us that. Spend some time in the book of Song of Solomon and look. It's the only book in all of the world religion texts um, that it's the only text that has a whole entire book devoted to sexuality. God calls us to be giving to one another. If some of the things you're hearing here today bring up some painful memories, bring up some challenging things for you, I want you to know we're going to address those things. We're going to address how some of the pain from the past can come up even in a, in a what does the Bible say about sex type of conversation. So if you have experienced difficulties in your background, we're going to talk about those as well. Not just everything's supposed to be great, but also what are some of the challenges? God has a great plan for sex. He is the master artist. So let's learn from him what that plan is for our marriages. I look forward to speaking with you some more. Till next time. Thank you for joining us for The Art of Intimate Marriage. Now, let's be real. This is not a typical radio program, and we know it generates questions. If you have one you'd like Dr. Kanzen to address here on air, email her at jenniferkanzen at yahoo.com. Kanzen is spelled K-O-N-Z-E-N, jenniferkanzen at yahoo.com. We hope today's program was beneficial to you, and if you agree this unique voice should be on the air, your donations will help keep it there. To give or to get more information about the ministry, Dr. Kanzen's Center for Sexuality in San Diego, or to get more resources for improving intimacy in marriage, visit us on the web at theartofintimatemarriage.com. And for more on experiencing the marriage God designed, join us this same time next week for The Art of Intimate Marriage.